This is Scott Becker with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. We're thrilled today to be joined by Dr. Edmund Probitkin. Dr. Probitkin is the president of the medical group, the Jefferson Medical Group at the Jefferson University Hospitals, a big role in a hugely evolving health system. Thrilled to get a chance to visit with Dr. Probitkin today. Ed, can you take a moment to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your career? And I guess as part of that, you've been at the same institution, I think, for 27 years now. Talk about how that happens in today's world where everybody changes and moves so quickly. How does one engender that kind of stability and, 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 and strength at one place for 27 years? Tell us a little bit about your career and you and so forth. Well, thank you so much for having me today, Scott. Uh, as you indicated, I'm, I'm Executive Vice President at Jefferson Health. I lead the Jefferson Medical Group. The Jefferson Medical Group is made up of over 2,500 employed physicians and advanced practice providers. In my role, I am partnered with Stephanie Connors, our Chief Operating Officer, and we report directly in the, the cabinet to Dr. Bruce Meyer, who is our head of Jefferson Health, who in turn reports up to Dr. Stephen Clasco, the president of Jefferson, which comprises not only uh, Jefferson Health, but also the Jefferson University and our academic functions. Um, I have a, had a, a wonderful career. I trained in otolaryngology, had neck surgery at University of Pennsylvania. And then when I finished my residency, I did a fellowship in facial plastic and reconstructive surgery at Stanford. was recruited back to Jefferson in uh, 1992 and have been there ever since. Uh, I think that one of the reasons that I've been able to stay at Jefferson, honestly, is that Jefferson has always given me the opportunity to innovate, to change, and to grow. And really that kind of dynamism, which marks our current era even more than any of our previous eras, has really been a reason to stay. When things are always changing and there's always opportunities, then it really helps you to plant your feet firmly and to, to stay. I would say that I've had wonderful colleagues, and that is also another reason to stay at Jefferson. I've done the work that a triple threat typically does, which is uh, research, which is teaching, and which is clinical care. Been fortunate to be a top doc for many years, been fortunate to have some innovations that are credited to me in terms of helping patient care. And then about, oh, a decade ago, I began looking and interviewing for a lot of chairmanships. And what I noticed was that healthcare was changing, that the, the image of the chair that we grew up with as someone who dominated a department, dominated uh, an, um, a care that was delivered in one particular specialty, had evolved and changed. And service lines were becoming much more interesting, uh, introduced at a number of different areas across the country. And ambulatory and inpatient care really became deeply intertwined. Was fortunate to be able to go back to school at Wharton and to get my MBA about five years ago. And then began working as the chief medical officer at TJUH, the hospital itself. But in that role, what I really saw was that more and more the money and therefore the attention was flowing away from the hospital toward ambulatory care. And in my mind now, really flowing not only from ambulatory care, but now 
to home care or community care. And uh, as part of the work, I was really able to try to bring those areas together. I think uh, with that, I was able to then move to a larger role across the entire enterprise working, uh, as I said before, as the leader of the physician group. I've been fortunate in, in aligning and promoting the strategies for success of both ambulatory care and our 14 hospital network. I've been fortunate to help with some of the mergers and acquisitions that we've had and have really looked to bring state-of-the-art programs into the community that really have improved healthcare in the community. I've also been fortunate to lead our committees for value analysis and also for coding documentation improvement. Um, it's an exciting journey. Jefferson is a place that is continually evolving. Uh, just now, we're finalizing our merger with the Einstein Hospital Network in Philadelphia. And that is another wonderful opportunity for us. Uh, so Pardon? exciting career, looking forward to many more years of doing much uh, of the same, but innovating as much as I can. Do you ever look back? I mean, I'll give a, just a, a separate kudos to Dr. David Nash, who was involved for a long time in value-based cure there and did some really interesting things at the at teaching. But taking that shout out aside, are you ever amazed at how Jefferson has evolved in the last 27 years? I mean, did you ever think it would be the consolidator in the Philadelphia, greater Philadelphia area? I mean, 27 years ago, I bet you couldn't have imagined the position that Jefferson would find itself in and grow itself into today. Well, I think that takes vision. I think that takes vision based upon, um, you know, the changing healthcare market. And I have to credit Dr. Steve Clasco for bringing that vision to Jefferson. What he saw in Jefferson was something very unique. Jefferson has always been a place where if you sent a patient for care at Jefferson, this has been from day one when I came on board, you know, many years ago, we would send the patient back to you. You know, we were collaborators, not takers. And that's, that's really important in terms of the reputation of Jefferson. That's a reputation that has been earned for decades, that if you send a patient to Jefferson, that patient will return to you. Not only that, when you send a patient to Jefferson, the Jefferson physician will praise you and uh, tell the patient what a wonderful doctor you are. These are just simple things that, you know, sometimes are lost at academic medical centers. Um, the, the town and gown hasn't really infiltrated Jefferson to the degree it has perhaps other academic medical centers. And so when you look at what kind of a academic medical center would serve well as a consolidator, that kind of a medical center would do that, right? The kind of medical center that allows you to be aligned, but not completely dependent upon um, the, the center. Rather, the importance of the other hospitals is emphasized and the acknowledgement of the care that's been delivered there is outstanding and that we can learn a lot from our community uh, partners. And that, talk about critical. This, I think that's a brilliant perspective. I mean, just to put it differently, it's a line but not dominate, a line but not be too authoritarian. 
and talk for a moment more. I, I have the good fortune, and I'm sure not nearly as much as you do, to get a chance to visit with Dr. Glasgow regularly. And he really is not afraid to lead and, and does so in a very principled, visionary way. But take a moment on that leadership and why that's important to being able to become what Jefferson's become. I think, you know, it, it, it's always an evolution. But, you know, at one time, Dr. Clasco came up with the phrase hub and hub. And, you know, to some extent, hub and hub, what does that mean? Does that mean that there are two different locations, two different silos, each of which is as important as the other in terms of a hub? I look at it a little differently. I look at it like two hubs of uh, bicycle wheels. And so, you know, the spokes can be different that attach to each one of the hubs. The, the wheels themselves can actually even be different sizes or of different types. But on a bicycle to move forward, the wheels still have to spin at the same rate. They have to be joined by the same frame. And in that way, they can transport people to a new era, so to speak. And so we're not that much about dominance, but we're about taking what's best, aligning it, standardizing the things that we need to standardize in order to move forward. So I can say that sometimes there are rough patches, but then, you know, you have something like COVID happen. And I can tell you from the way that we worked through COVID, where we had a command center that was headed by our chief quality officer, um, John Gleason, and the rest of our cabinet. And we worked with our ID department, with our sourcing department. We basically were able to provide uh, personal protective equipment across the board for every single one of our employees. We were never in a shortage situation. Um, we were able to put in standards very quickly across the board in order to protect our employees. Those are things that we're very proud of and were accomplishable because of the collaboration and the understanding that in some areas like that, when there's a crisis, you all have to come together, you have to standardize and you have to do things that are done from a command center. But in many other respects, we still have a great deal of freedom and we still have a great deal of ability to innovate at the local level. Um, I think care always is delivered at the local and very personal level. And it's just the resourcing from our viewpoint that has to be standardized, so to speak. But your, your point on the phrase hub and hub is such a beautiful phrase because no one in a larger organization, you know, if, if somebody tells you that you know, all of us know in different capacities, we're an A and a leader, and other times we're part of a team and we're a B, whatever the position is. But no one wants to always be a spoke. People need to be a hub and hub. So sometimes you're not always the main hub, but you're an important hub. And it, and it, and it speaks to the importance of different campuses, different areas. The medical group's not a, hub, not a spoke of the health system. You're both hubs. And, and, I, and I, I love that concept. And that just is uh, brilliantly put. And thank you for sharing that with us. Dr. Prabedkin, talk for a moment about, you look at 2021, what are you most excited about this year? Well, for us as an enterprise, it's really the merger with uh, Einstein. 
Einstein Medical Group has been for many, many years uh, our principal academic partner within Philadelphia. And now that the FTC has withdrawn its objection to actually our merger, we're really looking forward to becoming even more closely aligned with one of our, our great partners over the years. I also think that Einstein brings a different perspective. It's another hospital that serves a very specific community in North Philadelphia that quite frankly is an underserved community, a vulnerable community. And they do so in a way that's compassionate and that brings top-notch academic care to that community. I think that is an incredible opportunity. We have a new chief equity officer, Dr. Sandra Brooks, and with her and with the um, engagement with the community that is brought by someone like Einstein, we're going to be able to fulfill Dr. Clasco's promise. What's Dr. Clasco's promise? That we're no longer in the future going to have our life, our life expectancy determined by our zip code, because sadly that's what the case is in Philadelphia. We need to bring our care to every zip code in Philadelphia. We need to make sure that care is delivered to underserved and vulnerable populations. And honestly, the events of the past year that have brought a focus on that, I think have been incredibly valuable. We've tried in many, many different ways to bring healthcare, even with our vaccination efforts, you know, to these underserved, un vulnerable populations. That isn't always identified in terms of zip codes, but that's one convenient way to look at it. Another convenient way, we just recently had Wendy Ross, uh, our leader of our Center for Autism and Neurodiversity, Jeff Kahn, publish with John Gleason an article showing that the number one risk factor apart from age for getting COVID and dying from COVID is intellectual disability. And because of that, I'm proud to say that many states actually moved individuals with intellectual disability up on their, um, their timeline for getting vaccinations. And we've been able to do the same in Philadelphia. And so, you know, these are the things that really excite me. These are the things that we're talking about bringing care to the people that really need care and engaging with the community in different novel ways. Einstein allows us to do that. The work of leaders like Wendy Ross allows us to do that. We, we actually are looking forward to more engagements with our Latinx community, Esperanza, and others in terms of really trying to lead this charge at building safe islands for healthcare. And to do that, we need to move from the hospital system through the ambulatory system to the community and ultimately to the home. And that's really what we're dedicated to doing that uh, in the next decade. Dr. Brevetkin, it's just a pleasure to visit with you. I, I know the academic pedigree, which I'll just mention for a moment, between Stanford, Johns Hopkins, Penn, and Wharton, you've got a heck of an academic pedigree, but far more important is what you've done since your academics and, and been a magnificent leader at a great, great system that's evolved so wonderfully. Um, I, I love your thoughts on the serving of North Philly and the 
fixing this problem of zip code being the most important determinant of health. Thank you, Dr. Prabitkin, for joining us today on the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. What a pleasure to visit with you. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you for having me here. You know, I'm delighted to come back at any time. Uh, I, you know, I've been fortunate and blessed with the pedigree that I have. But I will say this, that it's, it's the work that you put in. And I have many, many colleagues who have uh, degrees from lesser known institutions that uh, are much more capable than I am and that bring much more to the table. It's not about the academic pedigree. It's really about the work that people do and the joy that they bring to that work. There is no truer statement. I mean, you and I know, having gone to prestigious schools, and I, you know, I really credit the University of Illinois versus my Harvard education, but both magnificent. But you and I know it's not what one does in school, it's what they do afterwards. And that could be completely different, and it's often completely different based on just who the person is, not where they went to school. And so the long term is based on the person, not the pedigree. And and you're absolutely right. I mean, the, the best colleagues that I have didn't go to schools with those kinds of pedigrees. They're just uh, magnificent people, and they put in the work every day, and they're bright as can be, and so forth. And it's much more about the person than the pedigree. It just is unusual when you get somebody who's had you know, a, a degree from or a fellowship from Stanford, Johns Hopkins, Penn, and Wharton. It's, um, you know, if nothing else, I assume that your parents were very proud. And my parents were, were wonderful. We're a teaching family. So my father uh, was a math professor. Uh, my uh, my mom as a Spanish teacher in high school. Uh, my sister's a law professor. My brother's a math professor. My wife teaches Spanish. Uh, I, in many ways, the, that's really what we've enjoyed the most. Uh, you know, if you look at the root of, of doctor, it's tachere, to teach. And so that's really still something that we as, uh, as doctors do every day. Uh, that's part of our uh, genetic makeup, and uh, it's, it's. I think uh, I don't think that there's anything else that I would r- rather do, in a sense, than still be involved in in the teaching and the education, uh, my own and and those of my patients and colleagues and uh, residents and students. Dave Nash, I think, would say exactly the same thing. This is the this is the great challenge of of you being a magnificent teacher and thinker. And me being, you know, sort of this mix of media persons like that, the, the natural question that comes to me is all these members of the family that are teachers. And the question that comes to me is, who's the best teacher in the family? And you don't have to answer that. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, the, I, you know, I, I think that uh, my wife of that probably is. Uh, and I will I will only say that. Uh, in, uh, I've learned more from her than anybody else, so that's the way that I would qualify it. Well, the, the thing that's fascinating about it is you're not really supposed to answer that question, but if you're going to answer that one, you answered it with an A-plus answer. So now I understand. <laughs> <laughs> it's a better answer than that. Anyway, uh, uh, <laughs> Dr. thank you so much for joining us. What a pleasure today. Thank you very much. It's my pleasure, Scott. Take care now.